this spring, we have been putting a spotlight on our place in God's church, the place that God has prepared for each of us in His church. And after a break for next week, we're going to finish up our spring spotlight on June the 5th. But we have already seen so, so far that we have several places to play in God's church. Each of us has a place of worship, a place to fellowship, a place to serve, a place to pray, a place to learn. And last week we saw we even have a place to yield. But today we want to add to that this idea that God has a place for each of us, each of us, to learn how to give. In fact, giving is essential to the very nature of God Himself. We know these verses. God so loved the world that He gave. Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life. He said, Come unto Me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Giving is just central to the nature of God, and that's why giving is to be central to the nature of God's people, the church. We are to be characterized, recognized. It ought to be rumored that we are givers. In fact, when the gospel was first preached, this was one of the first things said about the church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 45, 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to all who had need. You want to be a church like you find in the New Testament? You learn how to give. Decades later, when that same gospel message went out into a world of Greek speakers and Gentiles, it had the same effect. The churches of Macedonia were characterized by this. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. God's church... Wherever the gospel goes and it is believed is characterized by giving. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples to give by teaching them a whole new idea or a whole new way of looking at their possessions. Do you know that Jesus talked more about how we interact with stuff, our possessions, than he talked about heaven? or hell, or even how to love your neighbor. Because Jesus understood that there is a connection between our hearts and our things. It is not that Jesus wants our stuff. Jesus lived with very little. Jesus wants our hearts. And as He said in the Sermon on the Mount, that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. So we need to be careful about where we're placing our treasures, where we're pointing them and directing them and using them, because that's where our heart is going to be. And we are tempted daily to make money our God in this culture. And when we take biblical, solid teaching about generosity and giving, it has a way of transforming our hearts so that we don't worship at the idol of materialism as the rest of the world does. Now, I realize, I realize that we're up against it this morning. 
Preaching about possessions is not a very popular topic. The fact is that most of us are filled with fears and anxieties about our money. It keeps us up at night. It makes us worry. We wonder if we're going to have enough. We're constantly filled with worry and anxiety about possessions. But I might suggest to you that preaching on possessions was not very popular in Jesus' day either. I remember on one occasion there was a young man who listened to Jesus speak and he went away sad because Jesus preached on giving. And I hope today that none of us leave sad because we have listened to what God has to say about giving. But I also understand that throughout history, that people in the name of religion have exploited people for financial gain. And it is a sin. It is a sin that takes place in every arena of life. It takes place in governments and in business. There are always going to be those who exploit others in the name of greed. And so as a result, a lot of people just don't want to listen to what the Bible has to say about giving. But for those of us in Christ, we delight to listen to what the Bible says about giving. Because we know that each time we do, we are knocking down that idol of greed that lives within us. And every time we do, we get an opportunity to grow more into the character of the great giver himself. God and Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. Giving is unpopular, I believe, because it really strikes at the heart of our greatest love. The thing is, we love things. We love things. They consume our time. They fire our imagination. They control our plans. And they provide for many of us our self-esteem. My things. I want to free us this morning from being tied so closely to things and to allow us to see that God has given us these things as a way to say something. I'd like for us to look at four different things we say when we generously give as God has given to us. And one of the first things we say is this. When we give, it is our way of saying, I want you to know, I love the Lord. That's why I'm given. It's not because it's natural. It's not because it's innately fun. I give because I love the Lord. This is what we see in the churches of Macedonia here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to how they gave. It says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches that out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, and they were urgently pleading with us for the privilege of sharing in the service with the saints. I'd love to have been in those churches. What was it like when they got together? And even though they were as poor as dirt, the text says that they had an overwhelming joy in them, that they were begging for the privilege of serving. Here were people who were alive because they learned how to give. How do you give like that? 
the next verse is key. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with the will of God. You see, generous giving is a statement of people who have first learned to give themselves to the Lord. And that's why there's this strong connection between grace and giving in this text. You notice in verse 1, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The very opportunity to give was seen as a grace from God. Oh, God, thank you. I get to give. Now, folks, that's not natural, is it? Children's first words are not yours. Children's first words are mine. And it is not natural for us to give and even call that a grace. But have you noticed that it is a lot easier to give when somebody's been really generous to you? In fact, you almost feel compulsion to give because of how they gave to you. I've experienced that. But we have never experienced that more than we have experienced it through Jesus Christ from God our Father, who gives us richly all things that we need to enjoy. He has given us not only the things of the earth, but the things of heaven, and He has lavished upon us His great riches. And having seen how greatly He has given, when we give, we say, I love the Lord. That's how He gave to me. To kind of change a little bit of what John Newton wrote, grace has taught my heart to give. That's what God's grace does. It's my way of saying to Him, thank you. And it strikes a blow against the idol of greed that is growing within each of us. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, Paul says, greed is idolatry. There's a reason why Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. is because, as I said, He knew that wherever our treasures were, that's where our heart would go. And so every time we give, what we are making a statement of is this. The idol of greed that is building up within me, I am tearing down by saying I love the Lord more. I love how one author put it this way. Giving with a glad and generous heart is a way of rooting out the tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just as the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us, it destroys the demon of greed. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you just can't serve two masters. Give it a try. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll love one and despise the other. You just can't serve these two. You can't serve God and money. You've got to make the pick. And every time we generously give, what we're saying to our hearts is, I choose God. I love the Lord. But secondly, when we give, we're saying something else by our giving. We're saying that I love the gospel. Throughout the New Testament, energetic believers wanted other people to know the saving message of the gospel, and so they gave generously to make sure that that happened. 
One of my favorite examples is the church in Philippi. The first convert there was a woman by the name of Lydia. And from the moment she becomes a believer and is saved in Jesus Christ, she opens up her home and her possessions and her food in order to support Paul and his evangelistic team. She wants others to know. And then she later opens up her home as a place for the church to come and worship because she wants them to know. And her attitude of generosity spread throughout the church so that when we read the letter to the Philippians, we discover that on several occasions, they single-handedly supported the Apostle Paul so that he could preach the gospel and write the letters that he wrote throughout the world. And then it says this, Paul thanking them about it. He says, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you have sent. They, listen, they are a fragrant and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. When we give to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ in the hearts of his people, in the hearts of this world, it is a precious form of worship to God. Yes, it's where we say, I love the Lord because I love his word. I love the gospel. The book of Acts is filled with people who generously gave to propel the message of the gospel. I can't think of how many people have heard the gospel in this country and around the world because people cared enough about the saving message of the gospel that they sacrificially gave of themselves and of their possessions for people to hear it. That's what we're about. We're about people knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we give our all to make sure that people have the chance to hear it. But then when we give, we're not only saying, I love the Lord and I, I love his gospel message, but we're also saying, I love his people. I love the church. I love God's family. When we give, it is saying that we love the Lord and those the Lord loves. You see, the early church did not hesitate selling lands and homes in order to help their brothers and sisters in need. A great example of this in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, we read this. All of the believers were one in heart and mind. And no one claimed, no one claimed any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to steadfast to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy among persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them and brought the money of the sales and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who has need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned, and he bought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. That kind of giving led to an energetic and connected body of believers. Because when we give to one another for the good of one another, 
It has a way of saying, I love you. You see, our world is constantly trying to say to us that the most important things in our life is to have enough possessions and have all the pleasure you can have. And when we give to meet the needs of one another, what we're saying is, that's a lie. The most important thing in life is people. And when I give to help people, I am declaring that they're more important than my pleasures and my possessions. And that's why a wonderful byproduct of such generous giving is the unity of believers. Throughout Scripture, one of the ways of unifying God's people is to give. I mean, that's how God unified us with Him. He gave His only begotten Son, and that created that unity. And so if you have a strained relationship with somebody, one of the best things you can do is give. Because when you, when you give to them, what you're saying is, I love you. Giving has a way of saying, I love you. We know that. That's, what, that's why you have anniversaries, right? That's why you have uh, birthday parties. That's why you have Valentine's Day. Is you give these things because you're saying, I, I love you. And when they're given selflessly and they are received selfless, selflessly, it creates a wonderful unity. The Apostle Paul knitted together the Jews and the Gentiles in the early church by giving. There were the Jew Gentiles out there that didn't have the gospel. And so the Jews said, well, let's give. Let's give generously, sacrificially, and personally so that they can receive the gospel. And they did. And so the Gentiles turned around and looked over at the Jews and said, Wow, look, because of their persecution and the famine they're in, they're in need. Why don't we give in order to help their need? And they did. And as a result, Romans chapter 15, Paul's point is that when there is a giving between God's people, it knits together them in love. Where the Jews look at the Gentiles and say, We love you. And the Gentiles look at the Jews and say, Well, we love you. And it's not just words. It's seen and expressed by giving. I read about the billionaire John Paul Getty. They say that in his mansion, this billionaire had payphones in there for his guests because he didn't want to have to pay for their long-distance telephone calls. Now, he didn't have many guests that really liked him because there's something about greedy miserly people is they don't have good friends. The way that you deepen your relationship with people is that you sacrificially, generously give. It is fundamental because it's fundamental to the nature of God and it is to be fundamental to the nature of God's people. Healthy churches are made up of people who personally and sacrificially give of their time and their money and their talents and their efforts and their affections for the good of the body of Christ. It's their way of saying, I love you. Can I ask you, when's the last time you did that? Not when the last time you sung about that. When's the last time you did that? And then, when we give, we also say something else. We also say, I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> you see, generous giving has a way of transforming the giver into the character of Christ like nothing else can. 
Jesus, on one occasion, said a very sobering statement after a man left, after a sermon on giving, and he was sad as he walked out. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, he didn't say it was hard for those who love riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. They won't, period. He said it's hard for those who have a lot of things to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's sobering. Why is that the case? The reason that's the case is because with everything we own, there is a distraction. Have you thought about the fact that everything that we own requires us to maintain it in some way? That our minds are constantly filled with, what do I need? What do I want? How am I going to get it? How am I going to buy it? Is that the cheapest I can buy it for? And then if I get it, then do I need to feed it? Or then I need to fix it after I got it? And all of that time, all of that energy, and all of that effort for every new little piece of possession we have adds up until it has mastered us. And that's why Jesus says you've got to learn to give generously. Because every time you give generously, you are telling your heart, those things don't master me. They're not as important as Jesus. Whenever we give, what we are saying is that I want to be like Christ. And I will give. Every time we give, we're whispering this to our soul. I love the Lord. And I love His Word. And I love His people. And I won't quit. I won't quit until I look like Jesus who gave up everything for me when he died on the cross. It is giving that will transform us into the character of Christ more than any sermon or more than any song that we sing. It is giving that whispers in our hearts and says to others those things that we really love. You might remember that the church in Corinth was not known as a very spiritually strong church. They had a lot of problems. And one of the signs of their spiritual sickness was that they had given up their passion for giving generously. And Paul has to write them in the second letter in chapters 8 and 9 and say, you know, at first you guys were really excited about giving. And now it's become something you don't even think about. He says, I want you to understand this principle of creation that applies spiritually to our possessions. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. That farmer having those 50 bushels of seed out there, does he ever just regret that he put another one in the ground? Ah, he wants to get them all in the ground. As much as he can, because the more seed that goes in, the more produce that comes out. And what Paul is saying to us is that some of us have grown spiritually stale, stagnant, unproductive, and unfruitful because we just don't sow to it. But what if we sow generously? We'll reap generously. And that's how Paul ends 
his letter to Timothy, his, second, his uh, first letter, chapter 6, he says, command those who are rich in this present age. That's all of us, by the way. He says, don't trust in riches. They're uncertain. Put your trust and your hope in God. He says, rather command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous, willing to share. Why? Because in this way, you can't outgive God. <laughs> in this way, they lay up a treasure for themselves that has a firm foundation for a coming age so that it will take hold of the life that is truly life. If we want to share in that riches of heaven that God has prepared for those who love us, love him, he says we have to learn how to give. It's no wonder why Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give than receive. We know it, but it's the faith of living it that helps us look more like him and be more certain of our eternal destiny. Well, Thank you. Nobody walked out on a sermon on giving. I hope you don't walk out sad. What I hope we feel is I hope we feel energized to look for opportunities to give because it says a lot. If you need to respond to the gospel, we ask that you would come. We're going to sing this song and we're going to say that you can come to one who gave everything for you so you can have a life in him. Please come as you stand and sing.